You are listening to the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible, Not Broken Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eva Minkoff. This podcast features conversations with health entrepreneurs, care professionals, patient advocates, and industry change makers. What do they all have in common? The mission to humanize healthcare. In every episode, we offer unique stories paired with education, actionable tips, tricks, and takeaways, all to help you better navigate healthcare and transform it into human care. Oh, I'm so happy to be here with you today. It was wonderful to have you on uh, Invisible Not Broken. What, like this past summer? I don't, I don't understand time anymore. Over a year ago. Yeah. Was it over a year ago? Crazy. I mean, time is nuts. Wow. Oh, it was over a year ago. Oh, man. <laughs> That's blowing my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yesterday I'm was... Wise. March 11th. Did you take note of yesterday? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's when all hell broke loose. <laughs> yep. I'm kind of dreading the day, to be honest. And, and it's actually a very positive day for me. My my husband proposed to me on that day four years ago. And well, that is awesome. It's my parents' third anniversary. Th- sorry, third wedding anniversary, as in their third wedding. So <laughs> that is cool. Uh, they, I'm responsible for that one, long story short. But yeah, so March 11th, I've always loved. And then last year, the WHO declared a pandemic on that day. So I was like, okay, I can see in my future, I'm not going to love this day as much. Hopefully we'll, several years from now, you can start loving it again. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> I, I'm very sentimental, so we'll see how it goes. But anyway, I would like to properly introduce you because you, at the very least, deserve a proper introduction. Really, I can't, I can't say enough how excited I am to have this conversation with you because talking to you, whether it be on Invisible Not Broken or just catching up, even some like emailing we've done, you are consistently an inspiring woman, inspiring person. Uh, in the world of healthcare and chronic illness and just in general, I kind of wish everyone had a little bit of Clorinda in them. (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. (laughs) Uh, But sincerely, okay, everyone. Clorinda Wally is the president of the Good Days charity, which funds medical expenses for those with chronic conditions. Clorinda has over 20 years of experience in the healthcare industry and over 12 years in strategic philanthropy. As a member of the chronic illness community herself, Clorinda has ulcerative colitis, migraines, Hashimoto's disease, arthritis, endometriosis, clotting disorder, and ADHD. As I like to say, when it rains, it pours, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. I think I will like spin the wheel and see which one it lands on. Yeah, for real. I can't believe I only have three. I might have more than three. Okay, right. So Clorinda is also one of 13 siblings, which despite me knowing for her for a while, I just learned that today. Mm-hmm. And many of her siblings also have chronic conditions like Raynaud's, Sjogren's, psoriasis, and there's like a whole, a whole list. 
So in, in short, living with and caring for people in this community has been her entire life. And now Clarinda has made it her mission through Good Days to promote preventional medicine, given that so many of our chronic conditions are in fact preventable or at least well-managed through healthy lifestyles and attention to well-being. Mm -hmm. Clarinda's il illness journey has taught her how to care, how to care give, and how to be a voice for those suffering with chronic disease. And today we will be touching on her experience as a patient, as an advocate, but also as a mother, wife, and caregiver herself. So Clarinda, as I said, very happy to have you back now on the human care. Okay. So as I mentioned, you, you were on the Invisible Not Broken podcast before, but now we're the human care podcast. And I would really love for you to share your, your you know, quote unquote, chronic illness story with us, because it really is uh, pretty profound. Absolutely. Well, so I'll start. I have three sons. So when I was pregnant with the third son, I started feeling bad. So before this point, I had never been sick. No antibiotics, no, no, no cold. I mean, I had like, you know, migraines, but no, no illness that ever really required medication. And so I'm pregnant with who is now Jackson. And I think I have a sinus infection. I know this is going to sound nutty, but I was like, there's something wrong with me. So I calls, I called my sister and I'm like, I think there's something really wrong with me. And she was like, why? I'm like, I have a sinus infection. Oh, this is before I even knew I was pregnant, by the way. And so she was like, well, maybe, you know, she, we were going through all of these things, but I'm like, buddy, it's not like me to be sick. And so I go to the doctor, get on an antibiotic. And so I'm still feeling off. And she was like, well, you know, you should probably just take a pregnancy test. I'm like, oh, it's not possible for, for me to be pregnant. Well, sure enough. I was. So then I was like, okay, well, maybe this is it. You know, this, when you, when you, when you're pregnant, I think that your immunity somehow changes. So we got where I'm going through this pregnancy and I'm still not feeling right. Like it, I'm, I'm off I, and I, I can't pinpoint exactly what is wrong. Well, I have Jackson in July and at the, after that, my health really started deteriorating. I was, I was losing a lot of weight. I didn't, you know, I felt very tired, like emotionally off. And, and you know, I'd never had emotional struggles before. So I'm like, there's gotta be something wrong. I go to the emergency room because I'm really thinking, okay, what's going on with me? And they're like, oh, you're just anemic. You need to take children's vitamins. And they send me on my way. I'm getting sicker and sicker. I'm getting so thin. And I have ulcerative colitis. So part of those symptoms are also, you can't control when you have to go to the restroom. Well, I can't eat or drink anything without that being stimulated. And so I'm losing a ton of weight, but I didn't realize I was also, I'm also losing a lot of blood. My illness starts really progressing. My hands start curling in. At the time I'm working for a specialty pharmacy, and I am actually in the process of transitioning to work for good days. And fortunate for me, the founder of the organization has Crohn's disease. So I start working for him and he's, and I'm talking to him about, you know, these, these symptoms that I'm having. And he's like, I think you have Crohn's disease. He's like, I went through something similar. I'm still going to 
hospital, like emergency rooms, because I'm feeling so bad. And again, you're just anemic. And so eventually I get, I go to see a gastroenterologist and still not on the right track, still no real diagnosis. Mike connects me with the, the doctor's offices that he used. And he's like, I really think you should go, you know, visit this practice. They're, they're really good. You know, they will keep searching even if it, is, it doesn't come to them immediately. Well, that visit is scheduled, let's just say for next week. Well, it's Monday now, my feet are curled in, my wrists are curled in. Like, I don't know what to do. I go back to the emergency room. Again, they send me home and say, there's nothing wrong with me. Well, I mean, there's something wrong with me, obviously. So that Friday, again, when I'm driving, I have to drive with my wrist because my I can't use my hands. I can't use my feet. It was, it was just the, the craziest thing. I'm still going to work every day. That Friday, I just decided I'm going to this doctor's office, a doctor who hadn't seen me before, but I had my appointment next week. And so I just go to the front desk. And I mean, I, to this day, I still feel really bad for the lady who greeted me because I just start, I just start crying and I'm like, there's something wrong with me. I don't have an appointment. Please don't send me away. Like I just need somebody to help. And so she was like, well, your doctor's on vacation. So let me, let me see what I can do. So she goes back and this angel of a physician comes out and he's like, he comes and he, he walks me to, the, to, to a patient's room. And again, I don't have an appointment with them. And he was like, let me take your temperature. And so he takes my temperature and he was like, well, you have a fever. I'm, I want to admit you. And he's, so their, their doctor's office happened to be in a hospital. So he just makes this phone call. The next thing you know, I am taken into a room. Like I'm actually going to get looked at, which was pretty exciting for me. You know, I was scared. I, I, was, I was in pain. It was all these things. And then by the way, Jackson isn't even a year old. He's just a baby. And so like through, through, through all of this thing, you know, I have these children. And so Ava, I kind of mentioned this to you before. So you don't realize how, I don't know, like intuitive children are. So, and you know, they were at the time less than one. Jackson was three and Brandon was six. And, you know, I, I look back on it now and, you know, I think, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's also amazing at the same time is, you know, what, growing up when I was a child, death never occurred to me. And I, I never, the thought of my mom dying, no, never in my head. And now you have the six-year-old who's processing that he might lose his mother. Like, you know, how do you prepare a, a little boy for something like that? And I think to this day, that has something to do with he was, he's always been a grown up. And unfortunately, I think that it's, it stems from having to be a grown up when you're six years old, having to deal with grown up thoughts and grown up feelings at six years old. So I, I go through this. I'm in, I'm in the hospital. They're, they're, they're running tests. Oh, and by the way, when they do their, the initial assessment in my room, I have no elevated temperature. Gone from one hour to the next, I took nothing. So I honestly believe that that was God's intervention and in putting me in a place to seek help. So, you know, they're doing all these tests. 
But then the next thing you know, and by the way, I'm there myself. My husband's at work. He doesn't know I'm in the hospital. I don't tell my mom because she's the one that takes care of my kids. And like, I don't want her scared. I don't want them scared. Like that some, something is going on. So the next thing, you know, I get like five physicians coming in with like a crash cart and they're like, we have to do emergency surgery. You were, so your, your red blood count has to be at a certain number. Mine was at a three. I'd lost so much, but they had no idea how I was, how to even survive. Oh, and by the way, I had two blood clots on each side of my hip. And so they were like, okay, we can't give you blood thinners. We can't give you a blood transfusion. And we don't, you know, you're in jeopardy of dying, like anytime if these blood clots move. So immediately, and I'm like, holy cow. Um, so I call my sister, one of the eight, and I was just like, okay, I just got admitted in the hospital. Apparently I have blood clots. They don't know how I'm still living, but they have to do emergency surgery and I'm being pulled back now. And so this sister calls all of the other sisters and somehow, I mean, they're 20 minutes away from me. The, while I'm being wheeled back. And so what they were going to do is they're going to, they, what they did is they put a stint in my vena, vena cava. It's kind of like a, a tiny, tiny little metal spider. They stick it down in your vein and it pops open and it kind of clips on. So any blood clots that come through, it breaks them up. So as I'm being wheeled back, here, here are my sisters. And, you know, you don't know how important a support community is until you, until you need it. And so, you know, they come willing, they, they're, they're, they're all there. And, you know, this, this was it. And, oh, and I, I failed to mention this, was, I'm sorry, as, as I go back. When, before I, while I'm waiting to get wheeled back, the doctor comes in and he says, well, you may not make it. So I would advise you to write a letter to your sons. Tell them, you know, tell them whatever you want them to know because you may not see them again. Holy cow. It's like, how do you deal with that? I'm in my thirties. I have this little baby who I barely know. Like, I don't know what his personality is. He going to be funny. Is he going to be sarcastic? You know, like who is this little boy? And so then I first start by writing a letter to Brandon, who's the oldest. And I, you know, I talked to him about all the things that I'm proud of him for my hopes for him for the future. And, you know, for him to always know that I love him, but also to like talk to his brothers who Jackson about me. And so then I write a letter to Preston and, you know, he was, he was just, he was always just so funny and I didn't want him to lose that spirit. And I didn't want this to change who they were. I didn't want them to become, to become bitter or to become depressed. So I'm telling him this in this letters and then poor little Jackson, I didn't, I don't really know who he is. I mean, he's this great little bundle of happiness, but you know, he can't talk yet. I can't talk to him. So I kind of just write him a letter of who I think he will be in the future. And so I, then I get willed back. But I mean, these are like some crazy emotional things that are going on. So I come out, I survive, I'm here, obviously. <laughs> they put the stint in and through that whole transition, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. While in the hospital, I got put on heavy steroids. 
and, and so you talk about interactions. So you have some really good providers and then you have some that are not as sensitive as they, as they probably should be. Well, my hands clearly cannot open. And so like one of the memories that stick out to me is I was, I'm a nurse would come in and I had to have so many IVs, like you know, they're taking blood and giving me medicine. And every, every vein I had, I think, well, for some reason they, they couldn't get a, a needle into this vein. So they were trying to put it somewhere like through my hand or through my wrist. Well, I kept saying, I can't open my hands. So the nurse went to force them open. You talk about pain and insensitivity. I'm like, and I, you know, I just scream. And I'm like, you can't, they don't open. So anyway, eventually the steroids worked. And I, you know, I kind of call steroids the, the miracle drug that will eventually kill you. Because it seems like it can cure everything, but it's just a mask. It's a cover-up of what's really going on. And, you know, through this time, when you talk about relationships and needs, I kept my mom, for the most part, out of the loop of what was going on. And I highly depended upon my sisters, which is also very hard. So my personality, being one of that many children, I was the second to last. So in our house, you had to be loud to be heard. And so I learned at an early age to just take control. And so I wanted to control my, my, my own destiny. I wanted to be heard. So the, the idea of wanting help, needing help, asking for help, it was it like, it stuck in my throat. I, it was hard to ask. It was hard to need. Like I've never really, in my mind, I never really needed anyone. They're always here, but I, but fortunately they know me well and they all came in. And so you have Diane and Roseanne and Yolanda and Maria and Roseanne, you know, what do we need? And by themselves, they determined who was responsible for what, who's responsible for mom, who's responsible for the kids, who's responsible for me. And so everyone played a role. I had Diane who was, who, who took it upon herself to be my care navigator, to write down all the regimens, to, to know when I took what, why I took it. And so she was really like the, the transcriber of my medical history to, to keep me, keep it all on track. And in the, in the meantime, I also, you know, my, my husband, I'm divorced now, but at the time, I think maybe out of fear, wasn't heavily involved. I think the illness scared him. I think he felt like there was nothing, it, it was out of his control. It was out of my control. Um, the person who can control anything. And, you know, I think that, that, that put a real strain on, on everything. And so then, you know, I just kind of turned my focus to, okay, I can't control, I can't control or help him. I have to just figure out how I'm going to help myself and how I'm going to help these three boys. So fast forward. Oh, and by the way, my six-year-old son is going to have his first music concert. And so, and so he was, he had a solo to sing and, you know, he, like from what my mom and my sisters told me, he was like, is she going to be here? Is she going to be here? Brandon was very, very intelligent. Just, I mean, he spoke when he was 18 months old, like sentences, potty trained himself. He was just this, this crazy little brilliant kid, but he knows everything. You know, when I was sick, he wanted to know like, why, what's happening? What, you know, what's being done about it. And so fortunately I get out of the hospital on Friday and I kept telling the doctors, the nurses, I have to be out of here by five on Friday. And I'm like, they're telling me I'm not going to survive. And I'm like, I got to be out of here by Friday. 
because I wanted to make his concert. So to end this story, which is a long one, I got to be there and hear him sing. And he said that, he's like, his friend said, your mom's there. And he was like, no, my mom is in the hospital. And they were like, no, your mom's right there. And so I was like, he saw me like just making my way in. That, that was probably one of the happiest moments of my life to, to be able to be there and to, and to see it in his face. I mean, just, it was amazing. So now I'm on my road to recovery, right? Because now I have a diagnosis and now there's treatments for me. Well, as luck would have it, none of them worked except for the steroids. Damn steroids. So you gotta love the steroids. <laughs> uh, you know, I was put on um, Remicade, on, on Humira, all of these different treatments that work well for many people. None of them worked for me. It, it, and again, the only thing that would work is steroids. Well, I couldn't get off of them. The, you know, the, and the doctor would be like, you've got to titrate down. So we would start titrating down while all of these symptoms would come back. You know, and, and now just for anyone who, who does, isn't familiar with these types of diseases, I'm, you know, I worked probably, I lived probably 30 minutes from where I worked. And so my daily routine is to, to know where every bathroom was on my way to work. I had to learn, you need an extra set of clothes. Someone else always has to be on call. Like all these crazy things, a 30 something year old person, you, you think this is something that when you're 80, you might have to deal with. I'm dealing with incontinence in my thirties. I'm carrying my own diaper bag. Like it's embarrassing, it's humiliating. And I also am now starting to look better. So it's not, no, it's, you don't, like when I looked sick, people saw me differently. When I didn't look so sick, not with my family or my, or my friends who knew, but it wasn't take, I'll give you an example. I go to the store. I can't, I still can't walk, but I look like this. So for, if you look at me, you know, for people who don't really know what chronic illness is, you think there's nothing wrong with her. Well, I have to use a, uh, one of those carts for, you know, you sit in them and, and they electric they, and I'm being looked at as if like, that's for sick people. Like, what are you doing on it? So you just deal with all these little things. And some of them, as, as, a, as a chronic illness survivor, you got to disregard them. Like you got to, you know, take in the positives and, and, and leave the other negative distractions out because you I mean, you can do that to yourself enough. You, 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 you can't take, you got to just take the rest of it in stride. But, you know, going, going through all this, you know, I, it, relationships were very important. You know, my son, I couldn't like... The first time I tried to give myself a shot, I, it freaked me out. So I go to stick it in my stomach and it stabbed me and I rip it out. And here goes $500 worth of medicine all over the place because it freaked me out to do it. So then, you know, I call my sister and I'm like, hey, do you think Chris, her husband, who, would, who was giving himself shots, I'm like, and I'm in healthcare. I've, I give people shots. I have done this all of my life. I couldn't do it to myself. So because it was like the, the anxiety of when it was going to like come out would panic me. So my brother-in-law came and he started giving me my injections. So it's like, you don't realize all of these different people that come in to provide support. And then you have my son, the six-year-old. How do I do that? He wanted to be solely responsible for me when I was home. He was like, I learned to do that. So eventually this doesn't work. So none of the treatments are working. And the surgeon and the doctor meet and they're like, okay, there's a time when you have to move past medicine. And this is, and now it's time. 
So I had a colectomy. And so for anyone who doesn't know what that is, my whole colon was taken out. So I, I have no large intestine, zero, none. Well, actually maybe like this much. So they basically, and this doctor was brilliant. He, he turned the end of my small intestine into what would be a functioning large intestine. So like you're at, and, and, and reattached it. I won't go into all the gory details, but that had to happen. Well, with that, I had to have a bag. And, you know, as luck would have it. And so again, Brandon, the oldest, he's involved in all of this. My sisters as well. Again, everyone is playing a role. Who's, who's cooking, who's cleaning, who's taking care of mom, who's making sure all those things take place. I'm still going to work, but Brandon wants to know what's an ileostomy. He wanted to understand the procedures. So I had to take him the brochures for the surgeries so he can look through them. And I think it was all just so he can better understand how to help me. So I get, I get the ileostomy and like, I've never dealt with depression before. I've never really been depressed, but what this, what this did was added anxiety disorder. I was so afraid of the bag coming off that I would panic. And as luck would have it, when, when something like that happens, you, you're basically just putting glue like it's like a vacuum bag and you, you got to glue it to your stomach. Well, the problem with that is they, so you basically, they're pulling your small intestine out. They cut a hole in it because they need the bottom to heal. They don't need it to get infected. Well, it receded. So instead of like coming out, it just leaked. Well, it created third degree burns on my stomach. So the bag wouldn't hold, stay on. So there was a time, you know, it's, it's funny to me now but it wasn't funny to me then. So my sisters were in the bathroom and we're figuring out like how to deal with this bag. I mean, they don't make clothes for it either. So they're like, that's a whole nother issue. So it comes off. And so I like, I can't get it to stay on. And I start panicking. My heart starts beating. I'm, start, I'm almost hyperventilating. And my sister, this was Elena. She was standing beside me and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to black out. So the next thing you know, because I, I panicked, I'm, I'm out. By the way, I'm, I'm half closed during this process. Well, the next thing you know, they freaked out. They call the fire department or the, or the or 911 and I am coming to, and there's firemen or whoever, I'm half naked carrying me out. Like how embarrassing. And I was just like, no, 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 no. I'm not sick. I know exactly what happened. I panicked. But so, yeah, they were taking me out and my, my sister, my mom, everyone was freaked out. Um, I'm like, no, no. And my kids, of course, they're sitting here watching all of this. I'm like, I just blacked out. It, I, it'll be fine. I, I have to get past this. So that's when I realized, and this is another thing. I think there's stigma with, with depression or depression medication. I, I've always been one. If, if, if it helps you, you need to do, to do it. There's no, there's no shame in needing help in whatever form it comes in. And so I got on Alexapro and amazingly, I, I, I had more ability to manage my anxiety attacks. You know, they lessened it. It kept me steady. Well, through all, of, through all of that, this bag wasn't working. I had third degree burns. I would, it would fall off probably four or five times a day. Oh, and by the way, your insurance only covers a one bag over two days. I was going through five a day. Oh. Cause they wouldn't stay on. 
and, and because like, I don't know, like when you have children, like you'll, if um, they get a diaper rash, well, this is essentially what it was, but it was, it was so severe, it was blistered. And so it just, you, and when you put the glue on, and so here's another thing, you have Brandon, this little six-year-old climbing up on top of a stool as I'm lying down and applying the glue and like putting it exactly in the right spot, six years old. And again, through, through all of this, you wonder like, you know, where, where, where was my husband? Again, this was, this was so much more that I think than, than he was mentally capable of handling. And he's a, he's a very good guy, but it, you know, at, at this, at this time of his life, this was more stress and fear. And so he couldn't do it. So that's why Brandon's, you know, Brandon's like, I got this mom, I'll take care of you. So, you know, Brandon kind of took on some of those roles that otherwise he would have been responsible for. So that didn't work out for me. So I had to, I'll go back to the surgeon and I'm like, okay, I can't do this. Like I am going mental. You know, I, I go to work, this thing falls off. You know, I'm carrying 15 pairs of clothes. I got to carry wipes. And it was, it was bad. And my friends and coworkers, you know, they were, they just made jokes of it. Oh, and this is going to be kind of gross, but they're like, Oh, eat red velvet cake. We'd like to see, you know, see what it looks like when it comes out just to try to, because it's visible. But again, they just try to make, like, make me laugh. You know, it was all about just how, how can we treat her the same? That's another thing. I think when you're talking about relationships, when you're sick, you don't want to be treated like you're sick. And so Every conversation that we have shouldn't be about your illness. So I appreciated that, you know, when I'm talking to my sisters or I'm talking to my friends, they talk to me like I was normal. Like, hey, how's it going? And then eventually it would come up to, hey, if you need anything. But it was, it was very nonchalant. So I didn't always have to be reminded of what I was going through. I knew they were there. I knew that they cared, but they treated me human. And it, that, that, meant a, that meant a lot to me. You know, my sisters, some of them were, were, were good with, you know, keeping that straight face and others were more emotional. So, you know, when they see me, they'd cry and not because they felt sorry for me, but they were afraid of losing me. And, and so, and, you know, we, we were all pretty tight. So it, it was, and, you know, I was the, the, the first one that, that really went through that sort of like traumatic experience. And so it was new to all of us, mm. but they were, they were all still there and they were amazing. So, you know, you, you go through this, you still have to work, but you also have to remember that relationships are important. You know, the relationship with my mom, you know, I probably kept her out of the loop more than anyone because like uh, the last thing I wanted is for her to worry. I'm like, you worry about these boys and, you know, who were her, her essential life. She's lived with me for 16 years. The moment that my second child was born, she asked if she could live with me. And so, you know, she's always been a part, a part of all of us. And, you know, it was nice to know she raised me, but she was stricter on us though. <laughs> but so I knew that they were going to be loved. I knew they'll be cared for and I knew they'd be disciplined. And so, you know, she was doing everything that I would have hoped that I could do. And so I was never concerned about the well-being or safety of the children because I knew my mom had them and, and, and my sisters were, were there to support us. You know, but, but going, going, going through it all, my biggest concern was for these, these kids. Jackson, fortunately, doesn't remember any of it. He was the youngest. Preston remembers a little bit of it. But again, Brandon had to grow up fast. 
After I got the ileostomy off, I had a huge hole. They couldn't like sew it back up. So the nurse comes in and here, once again, my husband comes in. And so you have to literally pack it, unpack it, clean it, all the stuff. And he's like, I can't do it. And then you've got Brandon. He's like, I got you. And so he's listening. And the nurse is literally teaching Brandon how to care for me, how to, and, and, and Brandon took it in stride. And every single day, like clockwork, here he comes. And he's like, all right, mom, it's time. And he's cleaning it. Like all of the, it was just, it was just, it was just amazing that, it, and it never phased him um, in the front. I think he went through some, some emotional sadness, but he would never show it to me. And again, I think it's, it's, it's saddening to me that he had to grow up and learn about death so, so soon. I think it matured him a lot. I think, you know, it might've even altered his, his personality from maybe what he could have grown up with without fear, like without worry. I think even Brandon to this day carries some of that with him and it, and it saddens me, but you know, he's still, he's still a, a brilliant and, and sensitive uh, son, but he will make an amazing caregiver. I do joke with them. I'm like, all right. So Brandon took care of me when I was six, which one of you got the eighties and nineties? <laughs> So I just, I make fun of him all the time. I tell my middle child that I'm like, well, you know, I want my own room. And he was like, well, well, I'm going to have a master bedroom. I'm like, yeah, but I want that one. He's like, what are me and my wife going to do? And I'm like, well, build two. <laughs> and, I was, and I was like, okay. And I'm like, so can I bring a friend? So I have a good friend. Her name is Trisha. And he was like, well, yeah, but she has to bring her plus one. I'm like, what does that mean a plus one? He's like, if I have to get bathe you, I can do it but I'm not bathing her. <laughs> so she, needs her. she needs her own plus one. I thought that was hilarious. So today, to this day, I'll be like, hey, Trisha, remember, you got to have a plus one. So anyway, that was a whole lot of, of story to go through. And, you know, and, and since then, you know, chronic illness changed my life in many ways. It changed my children's life. It changed my sister's life. It changed Jesse's life. And, you know, I think that we all learned a lot from it. I don't regret any of it. You know, I would have probably done it differently, but I didn't, you know, you don't, you don't get to choose what's happening to you when it's happening. But I think what we've also learned is, you know, we, I have other siblings with chronic illness and the youngest sister, we call, it, call her the little one. She's, you know, when, when we talk about chronic illness, I think I drew, I won the lottery. I, you know, I think that she didn't, her ticket did want her nothing. She has unspecified connective tissue disorder. And unfortunately with that came about seven different disorders. And that helped me know how to talk to her. You know, she went through the similar issues as, as a new disease came about, as a new disease piled on, she was getting depressed. And again, when people were talking to her, they were wanting to fix. So like her husband was wanting to fix, fix, fix. I would talk to her and I would just say, that sucks. I am so sorry. I'm like, that's, it's not fair. We cry, be angry, but we can't stay there. I'm like, it's all of those things are okay. You know, and I talked to her about, you know, it's okay to, to be depressed. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to take medication for it. And because she, you know, she was like, well, I don't want to become dependent on it. I'm like, Maria, do you look at me different for having, for needing to take it? She was like, no, I'm like, then I think you need to give it a try. And so just knowing what I went through 
I, I helped her kind of mentally get through it because worrying doesn't change it. And in fact, I think it makes it worse. And so you, like you have to, everything is, is in stride one step at a time. You, and so, you know, she was having problems with, again, and I do not recommend this, it, always researching. And it would just really depress her because she's like, it could be this. I'm like, you don't know what it is. So let's not talk about could be's. So let's talk about, tell, write everything down. This is what you're feeling. This is what you ate. This is what you did. And then you've got to, you've got to, you can't hold on to it because it makes it worse. And I know when I had anxiety and, and I was stressed, my disease was worse. It just, it, it, like your emotional state has so much to do with if it's a good day or a bad day. And like in, in all, of, all the times me going through this, it was mostly anxiety. But, you know, when I, when I went to work or when I saw people, I tried to, to be happy and, and to talk about the, the things that are going well or joke about the things that aren't. Because if you don't laugh at it, you're going to cry. <laughs> and, you know, I, I chose uh, laughter, tears through laughter versus tears through sadness or, or feeling sorry for myself. And, you know, I, you know, I, I would, there was a point in time when I would like give myself five minutes to feel sorry for myself. I'm like, all right, you know, go ahead and whine, go ahead and, and cry and, and feel sorry for yourself. But then you got to snap out of it because you still have children. You still have a mother. You still have siblings. You still have a job and you can't let your emotionally state ruin everything else. Like your disease is your disease. You, I, I'm not changing it. I have to cope with it. I have to deal with it. And then I also have to figure out how can I help myself? My sister Maria taught me. She was, and so, you know, she's going through so many struggles, but she exercises. And one of the things that happens when you take a ton of steroids is bone loss. So I experienced 10% bone loss. And so the, the, the doctors, and, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people that, you know, I practice, I don't always practice what I preach. And so it was like, you know, you need now that I have a large intestine, I need to stay hydrated. Like ask me how many bottles of water I've had today. It's one, I should be at eight. And so like, you know, there's things I let other things get in the way, but exercise was, is a huge one. And the only way to regain um, bone mass is through physical activity, lifting weights and doing the types of things. And so I learned even when I don't want to do it, that it's best for me to do it. Not only for my physical well-being, but also for my mental well-being. But again, even with that, in all of my life, like from an accountability perspective, I help. I have people that hold me accountable. Exercising, I have two really good friends, and we made a commitment together. And you know, he has Crohn's disease. Trisha doesn't have any any chronic illness, but together we said, okay, we're going to hold each other accountable. So we're going to exercise together. And what that has helped is you know, we, we, if I, when I feel like I really don't want to go, Trisha's like, we're going. When Randy feels like I really don't want to go, I'm like, oh, we're going. And so we, together, we have become healthier than we've ever been through diet and exercise because we're holding each other accountable. What we eat, when we eat it, like, you know, and we also work together. So, you know, it, it, that accountability is, is, is really nice. And, and again, just with my brothers and sisters, They've always, you know, if you want to be held accountable, tell one of them. And, you know, there are times I've regretted it because it was like way too accountable. I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, how did you know I was eating that? So one of the things I'm not allowed to eat is popcorn. So I had, I knew that. And it was just like, oh, 
a little popcorn is not going to hurt me. I eat some popcorn. I'm like, oh, this new popcorn place just opened near our work. And I loved it. I ate popcorn for three days. I ended up in the hospital for a week. My large intestine, my small intestine where I had the surgery, the, the shells made it swell up. It wouldn't open. So once again, I'm driving. Oh, here's another one. Here's where my sisters came in. So I'm sick. And so I, I never, with the boys, I always wanted to leave them with my mom. So I was like, mom, you gotta, you gotta watch the boys. She's like, what's the matter? I'm like, I gotta go to the hospital. Cause I was just, I couldn't keep anything down. So I'm driving myself to the emergency room and I'm having to pull over to vomit. Well, it just so happens one of my sisters is on, coming down this side of the highway while I'm this side and she sees me. You have so many siblings. That they I know. Yeah. So she comes, yeah, they're like everywhere. And so she comes around and she was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm so sick. I'm in so much pain. This is probably the most pain I've ever felt in my life. It felt like a knife was in my stomach and somebody was twisting it. It was horrible. It, it was so extreme. It was, it was really unmanageable. And she was like, you can't drive here. I'm like, oh, well, I need to get there. And so again, they get mad. Why didn't you call? And I'm like, I just needed to get there. So we, we get there. And, and so immediately they put me on medicine and come to find out it's my whole, my whole the, the top part of my small intestine where it joins my stomach was shut down, completely closed. I was there for a week, again, steroid city to, they, what the hope was is that it would eventually open up. So they don't, cause they would have to resection me. And that's the last thing I wanted. So, and this happened to be the second year in a row that I was in the hospital on my birthday. So, but I knew the staff, which is kind of funny. And so then they were like, should we book you again next year? <laughs> so it was like my weekly resort for my birthday was to, to be, in the, be in the hospital for a week. But so again, like you have to take care of yourself. And so when the whole popcorn thing, I knew better. And so it, it took that extreme of uh, occurrence to happen for me to say, don't be an idiot. But even today, like, let's say I'm at the movies with Brandon Preston and Jackson, and they always get popcorn. I'm like, just give me one. So they're like, you can have three kernels, no more. So like, just to get the, the desire uh, away. When I'm with Trisha or, or my siblings, they're like, no popcorn. So everyone knows, like, and so then again, if you want accountability, you tell them. And it is like a small community because everyone knows, like somehow, somewhere, they're everywhere. And they're like, Oh, I saw you here. And so we run into each other all the time, but it, but it is, it is an amazing. And I've had a very fortunate life through all of it because I can guarantee you, I don't care if I have a flat on the road, if, if any one of them needs something, there's, there has never been a, well, I'm too busy or I can't do it. Someone, someone's showing up. It could be all of them, some of them, depending upon the situation. And so, you know, people don't have, a lot of people don't have that. And, you know, that makes it so much harder when, you, when the, and the, you know, you know, and the not having to ask because somebody is, is always there. So again, you know, I've been very fortunate and I also wonder, you know, we talked about this earlier, like what does everyone else do who doesn't have that many brothers and sisters? Like, you know, growing up when we were very poor, but you know, it, it was, we, we, we dealt with it in stride and every single one of us had a job. So we'd be like, okay, you're the hair washer you know, for like the little ones, because I mean, you have that many kids, you're, you're really spread out. And so we had, the, you're the feeder, you're the this. So every one of us played a role. And even when, when I was growing up, 
and you know, I got my first job and you know, my, I had, my responsibility was I had to buy the cleaning supplies. So I was responsible for shampoo, conditioner, soap, Tide, those types of things. So because there were so many of us, we all needed to contribute. And so that was all, you know, that was very important to me. I think that those things alone kind of made me who I am today. Like, you know, we, you know, the, 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 the struggle that my mom went through. And so unfortunately, like with my father, he wasn't present. He was, he, I, he was not, he was never a part of our lives. And so when you have that many children and, and your, your, your father basically decides he doesn't want that responsibility, you know, that's tough. And it was tough on my mom. And, you know, I realized, you know, probably if there was something that I regret in life, it's, it's not treating my mother better. And, you know, I, I was hard on her. And so, you know, I was young and, and, and just ridiculous. And I'd think if, you know, there were times where we didn't have food. So we're sharing a can of green beans, like all huddled around a can of green beans. And so sometimes I'd be so angry at my mom. And, you know, I would think like, why did you have so many children if you couldn't feed us? Like just ridiculous things like that. And so to like, you know, now she lives with me and I'm, I'm happy for that. So I can give, give back in love from the hard time I gave her as, as a child, you know, never having clothes uh, to go to school and, you know, the, the whole thing. And so, you know, and one of the, one of probably the, the biggest lessons in life I've ever had is, so, you know, we were on the free lunch programs and all those things, which could be a little bit embarrassing for a child. So I took a, a class and one of the teachers, so when you, when you talk about relationships or people that, that impact your life, Miss Story was her name. And she was my economics teacher. And she said to me one time, she, like one of the subjects was, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I did not understand that. I'm like, Miss Story, what do you mean? There's no such thing as a free lunch. And she's like, Clorinda, somebody's paying for it, even if it's not you. <sighs> oh my God. From that day forward, I never took something I didn't earn. I got a job. I was the custodian for the school that I went to. And, and I mean, I'm taking off the gum from now. I understand why they didn't want gum in school. You don't know how many pieces of gum I had to chuck off those desks. It was, I mean, I'm buffing the floors and all that, but it made me realize that this nothing in this world is free and someone is always paying for it. And so like, I've, one of the biggest values I hope I taught my children is you've got to give like there's, you, you can't always be on the taking side. So like even within the household, if I'm giving you something, I expect something in return. So nothing is free. And, you know, you got to throw the trash. You've got to, you know, whatever, whatever your chores or responsibilities are, you got to go to school and make good grades. I'm like, because none of this is free. You know, like Brandon, my oldest son, poor kid, one time he wasn't fulfilling his, he was responsible for at school. And so he's, he, and you know, he has ADHD, so it's hard, like I do too. So you see me jumping all over the place. That's like, that's been a struggle all of my life. But for him, he was really just not, not focusing. So, you know, I basically said, okay, you no longer have a bed. So the only thing I owe you is a meal, clothes, water, and a warm place to sleep. Took away his room and put him on the couch. And I'm like, so you are renting this from me. And the only way you get your room back is if I get paid. How I get paid is passing grades. So you do your job and I will do mine. 
And so that's kind of what I hope that they've learned from me is you, you got to give and also you got to be respectful. Like, you know, you, you're, those teachers that they're teaching you, they don't have to be, they could have chosen another profession. And that's a profession I'd never want. That is far too hard, far too demanding. Like, you know, you, there's so many people that have to be pleased. You know, it's, it's tough. I'm like, I don't want you to be part of the problem. You have to be part of the solution, Brandon. And part of the solution is doing your job. And, and so, and I think the, the younger kids learn from that. So, and when we, when I would do things, we all, we were all together. So me and my mom, Brandon, Preston and Jackson, we're all in a huddle and I'm saying, here's what's going on. Brandon made these bad grades and this is what's going to happen. And I hope you two use this as a lesson because this is very serious to me. Each of you have a role and it's your, it's your responsibility to fulfill it. Sometimes I'm going to remind you of it Sometimes I'm going to take things away because you didn't do it. But either way, you get paid by me via a room, via shelter, via milkshakes or a McDonald's. But all of that goes away when you don't do your job. You don't no longer get a paycheck. No more money comes to you. Only what I'm responsible as a mother to give you. I'll always give you love. I will always support you unconditionally, but I'm going to hold you accountable to your end of the bargain. And you hold me. And so one of the things that I'm very bad at because of the whole ADHD thing is losing focus. So early on with them, and again, you know, they, they're big, these kids talk a lot. And so we're like, you know, they're chatting with me. Let's say that I'm in the kitchen and I'm doing something. So Brandon is talking to me or Preston is talking to me, but I'm not there. I'm hearing them, but I, I'm not listening to what they're saying. And so then they would have to call me out. They're like, mom. And I'd be like, yes. They're like, you're not listening to us. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. So then I have to refocus because, you know, I got all these thoughts and I'm trying to give them time, but I'm really not doing it. So then we've made an agreement. If I'm, if I lose, like lose my thought or I'm not paying attention, we've got to come back together. And so, so I've made a commitment to try to, when I'm with them, just completely focus on that. No telephone, look them in the eye when they're talking to me. I find that that helps me better stay on task and to, to lose all the other thoughts in my head, you know, I can worry about work tomorrow. I can, you know, all of these things. The most important thing to me right now is the conversation I'm having with Preston or Jackson um, or, or Brennan. And the best way I, I, I learned to do it is I've got to stop everything. I cannot multitask if I need to strictly pay attention to, to one of them because it distracts, it, like my, my mind goes someplace else. So now I've learned when I'm talking to them, I just look them in the eye. I'm like, okay, or I touch them just so I can, so they can know that I am here and I'm listening. And so, you know, I think that, that that's very important. And again, when you talk about relationships, touching to me was, is, is very impactful and very important. I like when I hug someone, I, I hug it, I hug them with meaning. And so, you know, like my children. So I try to teach them that, like I said, you don't pat me. I'm like, treat me like you love me. And so I'll hold on to them. And then eventually I'll get what I'm, what I'm looking for. But, you know, I think that in, in chronic illness and, 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 and otherwise, being touched by someone that loves you. And there's some healing properties that, that are involved with that. Like things change with, within me. My, I, don't, I don't know. It's like a, this, this warm, fuzzy feeling. And I don't know if it's endorphins or what takes place, but there's power in that. There's power in laughter. Like I think one of the things we talked about, you know, what brings me joy? I love to hear people laugh. There is no greater feeling than to see someone laughing. Like the, the favorite sounds that come out of my children's voices are laughter. And 
in, and you would hope that it's not so rare. Like you should find things to laugh about, even if it's at yourself for a time. But you know, laughter it, laughter brings healing, and it it really brings joy to me. I I don't care if I'm not even in the room and I hear someone laughing. I want to know what's happening. It it like makes me feel good to know that people are 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 enjoying life and and enjoying each other. So I talked a lot. <laughs> I hope I didn't get off track. No, I. <laughs> Uh, I'm now speechless because I'm so thankful for everything that you have brought up today, because first of all, I want to be you as a mother when I'm older. <laughs> it's hard. It's like, that, that's a, that's a difficult thing. I mean, to realize you're raising a human. Yeah. That is just nutty in itself. Like there is a human life and it's a, it's going to be one of the scariest things you've ever done. Oh yeah. You, oh yeah. It's like, they like when they're babies, no, they can't eat without you. They can't move. They can't, it, it, it was scary. And then you get to, you get to, you get the groove of it. But the first, like the first time we brought Brandon home, Jesse and I looked at each other and we were like, what do we do? We had no idea what we were supposed to do. Like, do we take them out of the, the seat? Like, where do we put them? Like it, it, everything was, was new. But so I can tell you, you learn. Yeah, I feel like I, I say this often that I'm one of the least naive pre-mothers that exist. Like I, I plan on having a family, but I'm I'm not naive in that I know that I'm not gonna know or I'm it's not gonna be what I prepare for at all. My life is gonna do a 180. Like I'm aware of how little control I will feel mm-hmm. I have when that comes. And I think knowing that I won't know is somewhat reassuring to me. It's like, yeah, and it's okay. And and to to just know that it's okay to not know. Exactly. Exactly. And people out there that that you can ask. And by the way, if you use the wrong product or the wrap the blanket the wrong way, it's going to be okay. okay. Don't don't stress yourself out about the tiny things like that. Cause I did. And it was just, it would get too much. So yeah, it's okay. They're going to be like, I got, a, I got a pediatric husband, so he can swaddle. Oh, hello. yeah. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to have swaddling issues, but there, there's oh, the house. issues on the horizon. I love that you also brought up, first of all, you've used the word human many times, which as you know, I love that word. Mm-hmm. And the first time you really brought it to light was talking about Jackson and how he was less than a year old, right? Yeah. yeah. Less than a year old when this when I'm, I was in the hospital in March and he, he would turn one in July 23rd. Wow. So yeah. So he was so young and mm-hmm. even, even for uh, Brandon and, and uh, Preston, like they were still very young as well. And you can get a sense of their personalities, but you don't know who, the, who these humans are going to turn into yeah. and they are, they're their own humans. And I'm personally a very big believer in nature and nurture. It is, it is both. Yeah. You do not know who this being is going to be that you you give birth to or, or adopt even um, Mm -hmm. at a young age. So it's, I think it's brilliant that you acknowledge that. And as I mean, every time you brought it up to me, the, the writing, the letter to them, I just, uh, I I mean, to this day, I'll pull it out every once in a while and and read it. Oh, you have it. Oh yeah. Um, So I had this book. And so in this book, there was the chapters of that my sister 
dictated all, all the things that was happening. So to this day, you can see, okay, she took this at this hour, at this hour, she needs to do this. Every time the nurse came in, you, so I have the whole book of the, everything that took place in that hospital, wow. including the children's letters. Your, your siblings are efficient. <laughs> uh, and again, and, and the nice thing about it is everyone knew their role. Yeah, that's Diane amazing. is like, so Diane is the one that doesn't, she, she doesn't panic. She's not going to get emotional. Uh, she like, she'll do what needs to happen. And so that's why she was the one in the hospital. Cause if there's news to be had, she's the, she can take it. And so she's like, okay, immediately took on that role. Then I had my sister, Roseanne, who said, okay, I'm going to take care of, and, and Maria, I'll take care of the kids. Then I had Liz come down and she, and she lives in Oklahoma. And she's like, well, when you get out of the hospital and she's like, I'll stay with you. So when I got out of the hospital, Liz was there for two weeks and she was like, she was doing every, everything that needed to happen. I'd have Elena come over. Everyone, everyone wanted to get involved. Yolanda, Yolanda was the one that saw me on the side of the road and, and transported me to the emergency room. <laughs> but she thought I was a, li- a little crazy for going on my own. But we all, we all played a role. And so it, 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 was, it was amazing. And, and again, every one of them on their own decided, okay, I'll do this. I'm going to do that. Maria is good at, at, at managing. And so she's like, okay, I'm going to keep everyone on task. So the kids have to be at school at this time and make sure their homework is done. And, and so again, all of them came together. And, you know, my, my kids love their aunts. And so the, the, my brothers don't live close, so they weren't really a part of, of, all of all of this transaction. But yeah, to this day, they can go spend the night at any one of their homes. They're, they're all treated like children. And so, yeah, it's, it's an amazing and again, very fortunate. I don't know how people don't have, 12, you know, 12 brothers and sisters. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, most of us don't. <laughs> <laughs> so what about what didn't work? Man. So, you know, I think one of the things that we have to realize is not only as a patient, but as a, as a caregiver, as a provider is there is no cookie cutter disease and there's no cookie cutter solution. So one of the things that, that didn't go well is when I had this bag. So, you know, before, the, before you get it, they show you all these beautiful videos of, you know, this, these men and women who are out there swimming and, and having a good old time horseback riding. It, it was like the perfect scenario. So I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a breeze. I could easily do this. Yeah, so I think like, don't always paint the pretty picture. So this is what we hope it's like. This is what it could be like. So in my mind, I was not mentally prepared. And that was the hardest part. Like the physical stuff is the physical stuff. But if you're not, if you don't have it mentally, everything else is gonna fall apart. And that's where it fell apart with me is because I'm expecting to, you know, horseback ride and go swimming and I can't even keep the bag on to go to work. And so I, I think that somewhere there's, there's a breakdown in the education on disease. I think that it's not always pretty. And I think that we should prepare patients or people for the what ifs, you know, this is, this is the best outcome. These are the, what could happen. So at least maybe mentally, I would have had a, a pathway to say, okay, I hope it's this, but I can prepare for this. I wasn't prepared for this. And I, I was like emotionally and mentally shut down. It was, I, I had zero control. I didn't know what to do. 
and again, it's, 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 it was humiliating. There's all, there's all these different emotions. And so that's the whole feeling sorry for yourself. Be like, get out. Like in my mind, I had to tell myself, get over it. Like the people who love you and care about you, that doesn't matter to them. So stop, you know, you, you can't care about what the whole world is going to think and just be prepared for it. So, you know, like one of the things I say is, you know, I always have a to-go bag. Like I always keep an always extra, a, like a diaper bag, you know, just in case. And so, you know, there's so many, so many times. And so at work, again, I was so fortunate to, to work. I worked at good days. What better place to, to discover these chronic illnesses than this one? Everyone was supportive. Like they knew, like if I'm running to the bathroom, what took place? And it was like you, I had so many coworkers and friends there that would come in there like, do you need help? Like, do you need me to get you anything? You need, everyone was supportive. You know, I was late to meetings at times because, you know, I had to stop at every bathroom in that 30 minute drive. And, it, and no one, like when I walked in, it was, there was, there was no question, everyone knew. And so they're like, oh, let's catch, we'll catch you up. So I've, it's, I've always been supported. And again, I don't know how, how other people do it because I could not, I could not have done it on my own. I, you know, I don't, I don't know where I would have been, but I'm sure it would have been an emotional wreck. And I don't know how I could have really been there and stayed strong for these boys. So I'm sure there, there were, I mean, you clearly had a lot of support and I'm glad that you recognize and are grateful for that. But I'm sure at the same time, there are still lots of breakdowns in relationships. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, again, one of them was my marriage. Right. You know, that, you know, that was difficult. And, you know, we were still young. And when you say in sickness and in health, you don't really know what that means until something happens. And unfortunately for us, it, it happened so fast. It was like, you know, we have a third child. That was enough, right? Now I'm bringing in another life in. And I'm, I was generally, you know, the one mostly responsible for, for like the caregiving and, you know, the, the taking them where they needed to go and those types of things. And then all of a sudden I'm sick. I like, I, I don't know what's wrong with me, you know, and he's having to take the role of mother, father, caregiver. And it was, I think, you know, it, it scared him. And, you know, and I've, I've seen this throughout my life. We've been working, I've been in, in healthcare all of my life, seeing it happen to families all the time where a catastrophic illness takes place and it's, it, it can be the, the breakup. And I, that was the beginning of the end for, for our relationship. You know, when, you, when I had to have, you know, when Brandon decided he wanted to take on the role of, of trying to be that caregiver, but the, you know, that was a lot. And so that's another thing. So you're already, you're already having all these emotional things. And now you've got this huge relationship that affects not only me, but my children, your aunts, uncles, cousins, and that's falling apart. So yeah, it, it, it was, it was pretty crazy with, with, with that. And, you know, and also even like with the siblings who all wanted to, to take care of me, everyone had their own idea of like what medication route I should take. So, you know, one sister was like, you should go the holistic route. Well, you should do that. And I'm like, I can't do them all. And, you know, it was so, so yeah, it, it, there was, there was good and bad, but just, it's certainly very hard when you're, in a, and when you're in a relationship and, and you're generally the, the one in control and, and you're the strong one, and then that goes away, you, you have to, I mean, you're not the same person anymore. 
I wasn't the same person and, and Jesse wasn't the same person. And, you know, you know, we, we have a, a great relationship today. And, you know, we talk about that time and he's like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. Like I didn't, he, he's never really understood. And I think again, it was just fear of how real this was the reality of, of death, the reality of raising three children on your own. All of those dynamics were scary and, and it didn't, it didn't work out for us. And so, you know, Jesse, and it was, it was, it was my doing. So I asked Jesse for a divorce and, you know, I then became a single mom and, you know, and it was very difficult for him in the beginning. And so he didn't come around a lot because he was still trying to figure it out. Like, you know, where did it all go wrong? And is there, you know, what's the next step? And so, you know, that was another girl talk about growing up fast for these three boys. And so, you know, you know, they had no idea, had no understanding of what. And so one of the questions one of my sons asked me is like, mom, I don't understand. I've never heard you argue. Mm. I said, that's true. But when's the last time you've seen us hug? Ooh. Yeah. And so it was hard. And I remember, I remember again, Brandon had the brunt of all of it because he was the oldest. Um, and he was, oh, when we got divorced, Jackson was two, which makes Preston five and Brandon eight. And he was just like, this is the word. And he was very, he liked to write things down. Like he, 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 that's how he's emotionally processed. And he was like, when we're telling him, he's like, I got to write this down. This is the worst day of my life. I've got to write this down. And I, I said, Brandon, I'm not going to let you do that. I said, I'm not going to let you do that because if this is the worst thing that ever happens to you, then you are going to have led a damn good life. And by the way, your father loves you and I love you. We will always be here for you unconditionally. Anytime. I said, but I am not going to let this break you. Wow. So then, you know, then Jesse and I had to get together. I'm like, how are we, how are we going to do this? You know, we have to ensure that we're always kind to each other. And again, we always were, it, it wasn't about that, but, and so, you know, I'm like, you've got to be there for these, for these kids. And so one time Jackson asked me, and this is tough, especially because I'm the one that asked for this. Jackson said, mom, why do you get to see us more than dad? How is that fair? And I was like, I said, you know what, Jackson, it isn't. You're absolutely right. But I'm going to call your dad. We're going to call your dad right now. And we're going to tell him exactly what you just said. And I said, then the reason we're going to do that is because he is always there. there we don't have an agreement where you get him on this day and it's on this. If you want to go with your dad, go with your dad. If you want to be with your mom, be with your mom. So, and we, we're like 10 minutes down, the, we live very close to each other. And so I needed Jackson to be reassured, not only by me, but by Jesse to say, I am, I am 10 minutes from you. If you want to come over here, you want to stay over here. Um, you want to go do anything, you call. And, you know, and I'm, I'm right there. And so, you know, it, it, was, it was interesting how each one of them, each one of these kids processed it differently. But even today, so last night for dinner, it was me, Brandon Preston, Jackson, and Jesse, you know, all getting together and eating. And so, you know, Jesse's a very good friend of mine. And 
And so we, we've, we've done well with ensuring that not only do our children know, if, if, there's any, if there's any failure we did as parents, the one thing I never wanted to be is they need to know they're loved. And so I, I mean, my kids, I tell them 14 times a day that I love them. And you know, one of the things that I make sure of at night, and they know this, and so even Brandon, who's 19, and by the way, he's 6'3", 230, he's giant. Um, and I'm 5'3", so there's like a, a whole thing. <laughs> and so I, they all come in before they are going to bed. And so each of them have different, Brandon doesn't have a bedtime, but Preston does and Jackson does. So Jackson's the first one to come in. And, he, and so we sit down, he, we hug each other, we tell each other we love him. Like, I'm like, I love you. And so Jackson will, will hang out with me and so I make him sit on my lap. I know that's crazy. And so I'm like, I, I'm like, I remember when you were this small. And I, one of the things I should do with Jackson is like, he would hug me and he was like, what if I never let you go? I'm like, well, I guess you're going to work with me. I guess you didn't have to be school. So we'd go through that. And so to this day, he'll say that sometimes he'll be like, what if I never let you go? And so then, and then Preston, we have the same routine. Preston comes in around 11 and he's and, and so Preston will be like put out his hand and like I said Preston we don't shake hands we hug and so he knows that this is kind of like with the way we always start so he puts his hand out I'm like sit in my lap he's like really I'm like come on I said there's going to be one day when it changes and that's going to be when I'm sitting in yours <laughs> until that time this is how it works and so then I'll hug him and, and I'll kiss him on both cheeks and he kisses me on both cheeks and then he'll say I love you and then Brandon so then eventually Brandon will come and it's, a, it's the same thing. But Brandon now, he wants me to stand up. He's like, I get a better hug if you're standing up. So now I'll, I'll, get, I'll stand up and he like just picks me up and, and like make, makes it real. And so, so yeah, it's, it's lovely. But these kids know they're loved and they all have struggles. You know, Brand, you know Brandon's been, you know, the, the, this whole seclusion and, and keeping the kids inside, that's had a, a mental impact on them. Okay. And, you know, that's an emotional thing that, you know, when you, you can't see friends and all of these things and you're a teenager, that's tough. And so, you know, I, I try to ensure like, you know, how are you feeling? And so it's not one of those questions that you like when you're walking down the hall and you're like, Hey, how's it going? This is real. I'm like, I want to know your emotional state. Like, are you depressed? Are you anxious? Is there anything you're concerned about? you know, and like, how are your grades? Is there anything we, you want to discuss? And so one of the things I've always taught them as well is I don't like to be lied to. So when I ask you how your grades are and you're like, oh, they're good and they're not, you're, you're, you've, you're losing trust. And I'm like, the easiest thing to do is lose trust. And the easiest thing to keep is trust. Hmm. So you just, I, you know, even if it's bad, you can tell me. I'm like, at what point in, in any of your lives, and this, these are conversations that, that I've had over the last couple of years, have I ever harmed you? And they're like, never. I'm like, then why would you ever be afraid to tell me? I said, because let me tell you something. Nothing makes me more angry than me asking you a question, you lying, and me finding out two months later. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I know it's scary to, like, to tell me, I missed a test, I didn't study for it and I failed, but you're better off because guess what? We can fix that. I can help you fix that. I'm like, I am, I have ADHD. I know what it feels like to not have turned something in. And so there are coping mechanisms or ways that we can get past it. But if you, if you, if I'm not, if you can't tell me you need help, then who can you tell? I am like, I assure you it's unconditional. I will support you no matter what mistakes are out there. I'm like, I have, you know, I can't 
count the number of mistakes I've made in my life. I said, but the, the part about mistakes is you learn from them and do better. So if you keep doing the same thing over and over again without trying to uh, make a better impact or take a new approach, then I'm going to be upset. But if you're, if you bring something to me, you're like, this just, you know, this happened and whether, you know, I don't care what it is. I, I had a zero, I was speeding and I got a ticket. Like, you know, all of these things that you do with all these different ages of, of children, I'm like, tell me, and then we can, we can fix it. If you need help, if you need to see a counselor, if there are things that you feel like you cannot tell me, we'll get you to a counselor. I'm like, but what you don't, you don't want to bottle it in and you don't want, I don't, you don't want me to find out after the fact. And so, you know, those, those, again, some like children learning moments and then, you know, dealing with each of them differently. But, you know, that was, that was the biggest thing for me with them. And, and all of that is let me know in advance, tell me when it happens. And that's even with work. Like I hate knowing after the fact, like I hate finding out, just tell me because we can get through this process so much quicker. And, and without like with my boys, without them being afraid of what's going to happen. I'm like, what's the worst that's going to happen? You can't use your video game. Like I said, we're going to work through it. I'm like, is there going to be consequences? Absolutely. But the consequences are going to be far more severe if I find out two months later. So you choose which one you want, but I can assure you, this is not the one. I'm like, you guys know that from experience. So make it this one. And so, yeah, I know it's completely off, but sorry. No, it's all, actually, I find it all related. I and mean, it's clear that communication, like proper communication is of utmost importance to you, which I couldn't agree more with. It is. And, it, you know, it's hard, like just like even if when, when we're interacting, you can't you can't assume that somebody knows what you're talking about. Yeah. So I, I like I like the open. And and so one of the things I hate the most is like the, the, the text and all that. I, I like conversation. I, I like picking up the phone. And so even here at work, one of the things I miss the most is the way that we had to move offices, but in the, in the previous office where I sat, I could hear everything. So one of the things I love the most is, is if, I, if, I, if I heard somebody struggling on a phone call or didn't know what to do, I would get out of my desk and I'd go, I would listen to the conversation then I'd ask them if I can take it over. So then I would talk to the person on the line and we would work, we would, you know, if, if they needed assistance, I would work through that with them. And then afterwards, I would, I would sit with them and I'm like, okay, I said, I, and I'll, I would just discuss, I'm like, I know why you were confused. You probably have never come across this before. And so, you know, we, I would walk through it. But one thing I don't like is if somebody is struggling with something and you're like, oh, look at the manual. Oh, you've already been taught that. Well, obviously they're struggling with something. So I'm, I'm always big on, on communicating. So don't assume that you know what the issue is until you've actually discussed it, like have a real conversation. Absolutely. You know, I'm thinking once we publish this episode, I'm going to save this in my bookmarks to revisit for myself. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> you have provided so many words of wisdom tonight. And, you know, the one that I would like to go back to, mm -hmm. and this would be a bit open-ended, but if you could provide some words of wisdom to people who don't have big communities, to people who don't have uh, supportive family members who maybe like right now are in the throes of a relationship that's not working because their their partner just does not understand and is scared or they're in a situation where they just don't have family fam members or friends who understand what's going on what are what are some insights you can give I know you didn't well one of those situations you had one of those that you didn't no but. yeah but so what I 
what I found, especially now, like working at Good Days, and we get so many different calls for, for needs are different. It's not always financial. And so there are so many resources available. Don't be afraid to use them. And so I, like, in the, when I was in, in the first going through it, I was I don't know if the word embarrassed or I didn't want to ask for help, but there's there's communities out there. There's organizations like Good Days. There's organizations like if you have multiple sclerosis or, or Crohn's disease, there's advocacy groups out there that can connect you with, with human interactions. There, there are places all across this country in which you can get online and, and talk to communities for people like you. And, you know, those are nice because, you know, some of the things that you're going through, you might feel like you're the only one, or you might just want to know that it's normal. Like, I think some of the biggest fears I had when I was sick is, did somebody like, did this happen to somebody else? Like, I would panic, like, is, like, is this something new? But it was nice to be able to go online to a community and say, hey, you know, this just happened. Anyone else experienced that? So even that sort of connection is, is something but I would highly recommend reaching out, even your provider's office, you know, they know, all, they know, especially if you're dealing with a, a chronic illness and with a specialist, you know, they know the many different groups that are out there that can provide support, but don't be afraid to pick up the phone and don't be afraid to, to talk to someone. And, you know, there's also counseling. Do not hesitate to get it. I needed it. I, I, I needed somebody to, to talk to for, for many different reasons, not only for, for, emotionally so I don't just you know break it down but also I wanted to talk to them about about work and you know how to manage it how do how do I get past my ADHD in and and be able to focus like so there are so many times in my life where I needed to talk to someone and you know it's not always I needed a medical care I just needed an ear and so I think that that it's it's important don't don't be afraid to to connect don't be afraid to put yourself out there. You know, it can be very, you can feel very vulnerable when you're, when you're, when you're doing something like that. But if you're in the right community, it's, it's going to be welcome. And, you know, in the end, you know, calling good days or cancer support community or, or other entities like us, we want to help. And we may not always have the answers, but at least we, we know how to navigate and, and know how to try to do the connection. But, you know, but I think it's support. I think that, you know, su support is, is needed, even if it's only a, a chat line or a phone call to a, to a counselor. But joy, you know, having a sense of community, it, I think it's, it's, it's important again, just so you can feel like you're not going crazy. Yeah. And I'd actually like to quote you from earlier tonight, because I wrote this down. There's no shame in needing help, no matter what form it comes in. That's correct. Yes. Very well said. Well, <laughs> well, we do have to wrap up, though I'm thinking, I'm, I'm kind of thinking maybe we should just make this multiple episodes. I would really like that. <laughs> you know what I would love to actually bring up again yeah. behind you, because I'm actually trying to remember what you said last time. Yeah, so I love them. So I'm going to put this yeah. up. So this is for video, but you'll also have to describe it for- I will. So basically what you have is you have different people and they're either, well, it appears in which that they're climbing a wall. And for me, this is just a continued reminder that anytime I approach someone, you never know where they're at in their journey. And so when you're looking at this, you look like, oh, everyone's climbing and some are further down, some are further up. When in reality, they might already have crossed the mountain and are on the way back down. 
So again, it's, it's, it's my constant visual to say, you know, you've got to meet people where they're at and you don't know exactly which approach they're on. Are they climbing up the struggle? Are they dealing with it? Or are they coming back down from it? So that's what I like to view. And then jokingly, what I say when people ask is you notice that none of them have dresses on us because the women have already crossed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my, that's, yeah. But that's again, just a constant reminder if you don't know where someone's at. So meet them, meet them at their level. It's a really powerful display and message. Thank you for putting that up there. Thank you, Clarinda, for being you in all the ways that you are you as a leader, as a mother, honestly, as a wife, really, like I commend you for how you stood up for yourself in that way as you are, you are a self-advocate in that way. I'm also glad that you guys are so close now too, but, but I'm, I'm very proud of that. And as a patient, as a sibling, really. I greatly admire you. I will be re-listening to this episode myself many times. Um, well, I certainly appreciate you having me. I love talking to you. I, I, I it's, you know, it's life is important. Like you only live once and, you know, there's, there's ups and downs, as you can see again, from, from, for people behind me and there's always community. So thank you, Ava, for, for reaching out. And I appreciate, I, I appreciate our friendship and I appreciate everything that you stand for and you're doing on behalf of the chronic disease community. Thank you. And, uh, oh, you know what? Actually, there's one last thing. Sure. I wanted you to, uh, we're, we're going to post stuff about good days, but is there any, like, any quick thing that you want to say about good days? A call to action on what you want uh, people well, to do? One thing that's coming up is real quick is July 10th. So July 10th, I think you might've heard me talk about chronic disease day. And so it signifies that seven out of the top 10 deaths annually are due to chronic illness. And the saddest part about that is most of them are preventable. And so, you know, one of the things I want to say is, you know, we'd love for you to, to, to come to our website and show support for that day. And what we would love to do, so 90% of the healthcare spend today is on preventable illness. And biggest, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so our call to action is help us change the number. Change the number. And like in March, March 10th. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and so, you know, there are, there are many things where genetic plays a role. But there are so many things that we can do, even when you have a disease that's not preventable. Diet and exercise. I know that sounds cliche, drinking water. Like that's my biggest struggle is you have to drink water. And again, it's, you, it's, you, you, it's not something that everyone can do just overnight, but it's small steps. On the commercial breaks, get up and walk around. Like there are so many things we can do to take care of ourselves. And so, you know, one of the things that I talk about is like, you know, when somebody is diagnosed with cancer, the first thing they do is they go to the doctor and say, what can I do? Like, get me treatment. I want to get well. But when, we, when we're suffering from obesity or, or, or diabetes because of later smoking, we know how to fix that. You know, there are steps that we can take, you know, get on a patch or do different things, drink more water, eat healthier, try to get more steps in to, to ensure that we have healthy, healthier lives. And again, I, you know, I sometimes am, am not the follow, you know, practicing what I preach, but it's another important thing is, you know, like growing up, you know, I, like in my mom's era, exercise wasn't really a thing. Like, I can't recall any, like, 
anyone really saying, oh, I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to, I'm going to do this. It, it, it just not, it wasn't something that we were taught. So one thing that's important to me and like my way of trying to contribute to this number is teaching my children. So they see me exercising, you know, my oldest son, I do orange theory. And so he's joined orange theory. And so he's, he's wanting to do that. I, and, the, and the younger two, you know, they, they get exercise at at school, but, you know, teaching those types of traits at an early age. So then it, it becomes like breathing. So no one needs to remind you to breathe. And so, you know, making better choices, you know, like, so for example, you eat the cheeseburger, forget the fries, like just, just small things that can, that can make a huge difference. So again, join us um, on 710 in recognition of chronic disease awareness and what we can do as a country to lower the number. Thank you. The Human Care Podcast is part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network, a network that includes several chronic illness, disability, and health-related podcasts, including Explicitly Sick, hosted by Monica Michelle, Discomfort Zone, hosted by Jason Herderick, and of course, the original Invisible Not Broken Podcast. We absolutely love feedback. Love, 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 love feedback and connecting with you one-on-one or within our Invisible Not Broken podcast community. So please reach out to us anytime. We're open to topics, critique, you name it. This is a podcast created by us for you. You can find information about all of our network podcasts, community, and how to contact us all on invisiblenotbroken.com. You can also find us on social media platforms through the handle invisiblenotbroken and humancare underscore podcast. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening and being a part of our mission to transform healthcare into human care.